So, home ownership is something that has been tracked since 1960, and according to census.gov, home ownership then was around 65%, and now in 2020 is around 64%. So, it really just goes to show that, you know, home ownership has really stayed steady over the years. Interesting. So, 60 about 64% of people today own their home versus renting their home. Exactly. Interesting. It's good to know that it stays pretty consistent. I wonder if that's just the fact that people, I mean, I guess people are selling at the same rate that people are buying for the most part. And it has a lot to do with like supply and demand on the market and all those different things. Yeah. Just goes to show that stuff that we learned in econ in high school was actually useful. Definitely. (laughs) From interviews and investing to careers and credit, we've got you covered. Wallet Watch is a podcast brought to you by MSU Federal Credit Union and OU Credit Union. We'll be interviewing industry experts, sharing personal stories, and even playing some fun games. Delivering financial topics to you in a fun and interesting way. I'm your host, Catherine. I'm Devante. We're so glad you're here. All right. Welcome, everybody. Today, we have a very special interview with Denya Macaluso, who works here at the Credit Union. Welcome. Thank you. Really excited to be here, you guys. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. We're going to be talking a little bit today about um, owning a home and the mortgage process and things like that. Yeah, super, super excited to have you with us today, Denya. Um, Can you tell us a little about yourself? You bet. Well, my name is Denya Macaluso. I have been here at the credit union almost 10 years. I have been in the mortgage industry just over 20 years. I think what really got me started was just how rewarding it was to see that first person buy a house and just how excited they were and they felt that somehow I had actually helped them. I mean, truly as a mortgage officer, you're pushing documents. You know, that borrower, the member qualifies for that home, but you're just kind of holding, you know, their hand throughout that process, reassuring them, letting them know what to expect. and. Again, just at that closing table, just to see that sparkle in someone's eyes and to feel so proud that they were able to achieve maybe their life dream of buying a home, um, there's just nothing better than that. So I think that's what's allowed me to, to stay in this industry for over 20 years. It's always changing. There's new regulations, there's new guidelines, interest rates move all the time, you know, stock market moves, um, different products that we you know, try to uh, introduce that cater to our evolving membership. So it's just, in my mind, it is the best industry to be in. I've never been more passionate about you know, the home buying process. And to be able to do this as part of what I do every day for a living is just a dream come true. That's amazing to hear. I just love to hear your passion behind everything. Um, I know when my boyfriend and I just bought a house not too long ago, and yeah, we were super thankful for our mortgage officer. It was just like, wow, you really helped us to accomplish a dream of ours. So can definitely understand that. You know, and I, so I bought my first house about 15 years ago and I hadn't gone through the process, but last year I sold my house and bought a new house. And even though I feel like, you know, kind of an expert, I couldn't get over how freaked out I was. You guys, and I was going through the credit union, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so like, I know what to expect kind of, but it was nerve wracking. And so it was great to be kind of back in that position and just remember how important, you know, either your lender or whoever it is that you trust through that process and can kind of help you through it. So yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I agree. I love to hear the passion and you can tell how excited you are about it to help people. So for those people that are maybe first time home buyers, haven't gone through this process before, what are some things that they should think about before buying a home? 
I think the, the very first thing that anyone should do is sit down with an officer um, or apply online depending on you know your comfort level and figure out really what you can afford. Because sometimes what you can afford on paper is a little different than what you're comfortable with budget-wise. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of arriving at what that number is. You know, often it's, it's a payment, it's an amount, right? Mm -hmm. But then depending on where someone may want to live, you've got to take that into consideration. So if I wanted to live in East Lansing, property taxes are a little bit higher. So I probably can't afford as much of a house as, say, if I were to move to DeWitt, which isn't too far away, but property taxes are a little bit lower. Okay. Um, so, for example, I might be able to buy, as a first-time home buyer in East Lansing, a $125,000 house where property taxes are $500 a month. In DeWitt, I might be able to buy a $175,000 house because property taxes are only $300 a month. You know what I mean? So yeah. truly those property taxes, and it sounds kind of silly, but they really can kind of make or break what you qualify for depending on the township or the city that you're looking in. Yeah, that's awesome. So setting that expectation and sitting down with someone who does this as you know regularly on a day-to-day -day basis will really help with that. Absolutely, because there are so many products and programs out there, depending on your income level, depending on where you work and where you reside, you might qualify for a type of grant. Um, you might qualify for down payment assistance. There's rural development, which is a 0% down, so you don't have to have any money towards the home. You just have to pay for closing costs. Oh. Um, so I think certainly sitting down with an expert to provide the options that you qualify for is going to be the best way to start. Because plus then you can determine how much money you may need to save for a down payment, mm -hmm. how yeah. long that could take, you know, to get an idea of it. Maybe it's only six months. Maybe you only need a couple thousand dollars, and you know you can put that away a little bit each paycheck. But what if it's you know, 15,000 and you're like, okay, that's two years out, mm -hmm. you know, so I kind of have an idea of what I'm shooting for and what that timeline is. Sure. Yeah, good stuff. So what is the mortgage process? What does that look like, like from start to finish? Oh my gosh. So I say, oh my gosh, because as soon as people find a house, right, you're ready to close. Like, yeah. I'm ready to move in, <laughs> let's like, go. I need it now. And unfortunately, you know, there we have to kind of dot our I's and cross our T's, and it's nothing that we need from you, the borrower, but there are some things that happen in the background. Uh, so, for example, when you first get your purchase agreement signed, so you've committed to buy that house, and you give that to your lender, you're probably about 30 days, 30 calendar days out before you close. And what transpires during that time is the officer kind of makes sure they have a complete file. So everything that you submitted in that application, we need to verify. So we need to show that you're employed at MSU Federal Credit Union. So we may need the last you know, two pay stubs or 30 days of consecutive pay history. We need the last two years of W-2s because we have to show a two-year continuance of employment. We need asset statements. So again, whatever you put in the application, we're just looking to verify with the supporting documentation. Once that's completed, then it moves to processing. And the processor orders the appraisal, which is typically that magic. Everyone's like, you know, waiting to see if does that value come in? You know, can I get that loan? Is everything good with the home? You know, that's that's kind of that magic number. And then while they're ordering the appraisal, they also order a title commitment. And a lot of people don't understand title, and I didn't really understand it either. But I think of it as like insurance, but the only type of insurance that insures, historically speaking, right? So when you think of auto insurance or life insurance, it's about something that's going to happen in your life, and that's what you're guarding against. But title insurance is more to make sure that some owner three times back might have got new windows, and they didn't pay it. And so now Hanson's has a lien on that title. 
and whoever is the owner has to pay for it. But if you have title insurance, that guards against anything like that happening. And then the title company would have to take care of that. Interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because yes. sometimes it's, it's hard to understand what that is. But it's again, it just ensures that your mortgage or your ownership is in that first lien position and nobody else can, can get ahead of you. Okay. So once those twos come back, which typically it's about a week to 10 days before you get the appraisal and the title work back, the processor is going to go through that file kind of one more time and just make sure from a compliance standpoint, we have everything we need to be able to close. Then it goes to underwriting. And then the underwriter is kind of that third set of kind of checks and balances. They verify that we've calculated income correctly. They verified that we have the asset statements that match, okay. that the automated underwriting findings that we have met every condition that they have outlined there. So again, nothing that should be in, involved with the member. It's just more of a, hey, be patient. And then ideally, as the officer or processor, you're providing updates each week so the member knows, yep, now we've got the appraisal back. It supports, we're sending that to you to review. Now it's going to underwriting. Now it's going to closing. At closing, um, and I know when I first bought my house, I took the whole day off. I didn't know it only took an hour. <laughs> you know? We signed all the documents. And I was like, so what's next? And they're like, well, you, you own the house. I was like, oh, okay. Um, so I always tell people that. I'm like, closing is an hour. And you basically sign a lot of the documents you sign when you first um, get the disclosures for your loans. When you first apply as a loan officer, we have to send all those initial disclosures within three business days. And you can electronically sign them. That doesn't commit you to the loan, but it does allow the lender to do their due diligence. You're not really on the hook, and I say that because a lot of people are like, what, what does it cost me if I decide at the very end I don't want to close? I just get nervous. Mm -hmm. That's okay. The only thing that it ever costs you is the appraisal. And that's usually about $400. And that's because the appraiser doesn't work for the lender. You know, they have done their work. They have provided the report. So they want to get paid for what they've done. Mm -hmm. but other than that, there is no other commitment to you, the borrower. So again, from start to finish, about 30 days. And then when you close, typically if it's a purchase, you are getting those keys right at close and are moving in as soon as you can. So it is pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say I love your definition of title insurance. I've worked for, like, I have like four years of experience in title insurance, and I think that's the best definition I've ever oh, heard. Oh, good. <laughs> so, great. Good, good. I always just always found it confusing when I was first in this industry. I'm like, how do you explain it so people get it? Yeah. You know, so good, thank you. All right, so I know you talked a little bit um, towards the beginning about different types of, like, programs that people might qualify for and things like that. I think oftentimes people think they have to have 20% down to buy a home, but can you speak a little bit to that and just talk about maybe other programs that would be available or what the benefits are to having 20% down? Absolutely. So 20% down is kind of the, the magic number to where someone doesn't have to have private mortgage insurance. I don't understand why, but that seems to have kind of a negative connotation. However, if you look at it a little differently the way I look at it, it allows so many of us to buy a house. Mm -hmm. Most people don't have 20% down. So here at the credit union, we have a first-time homebuyer program that's as little as 3% down. So if you're buying a $100,000 house, you would have to have $3,000 okay. as your down payment. Now, again, you'd have private mortgage insurance. And so what is that? Basically, it's the insurance that the lender has to carry anytime we have less than 20% down or 20% equity if you okay. were doing a refinance. Okay. So it's typically a monthly payment. It's fixed until you get to that 20% equity threshold and then it would drop off. 
Um, so just to kind of give an example, if, if you have you know pretty good credit, I'm gonna say tier one here, so 720-ish, and you're putting 3% down, and it's a $100,000 house, you're probably looking at about $50 a month for that PMI payment, just okay. to kind of give that perspective. Okay. And it is tax deductible. Um, there are some qualifications in order to do that. You have to make under a certain amount and the house can't be valued at, you know, above a certain amount, like a million dollars. So there's lots of ways to qualify to get that tax deductible. And then again, once you get to that 20% equity threshold, you can get that PMI removed or dropped. Does it just automatically drop off or do you have to refinance? It automatically drops off at 78% okay, because that's by law. Okay. But at 80%, you as the borrower could request that from your lender and then they would have to do that. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Most lenders will require that you have PMI for at least two years. Here at the credit union, we do not. So let's say you bought a foreclosure and you put X amount of money into it and we got an appraisal after six months and it values more than that 20% equity. We would go ahead and re remove that PMI. Okay. There are a lot of benefits that I do find um, the credit union offers borrowers and a lot of it's just make sense lending. You know, things that maybe you have rules in place because the PMI company needs to make a certain amount of money, you know, during that two years. But we look at, you know, the borrowers being obviously you know, our most important asset and the one that we want to serve. And so if it makes sense that they have that equity, why would we make them pay, you know, that PMI? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I feel like I'm just, I'm just absorbing so much. I know. <laughs> Same. <laughs> okay. So I know you talked about like that 30 days to close. Yes. And, you know, when you get to the table and the documents that you're signing. So what is really included when we think about closing costs? So that, you know, that amount, that check you may have to bring to closing. Sure. So there's usually an origination fee, and that's going to be what the lender charges basically to handle all those documents for all the individuals that play their part, whether it's the officer, processor, underwriter, closer. For the credit union here, our origination fee is $1,195. Um, but for a first-time homebuyer, you get $500 off, so that's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, and when you compare us to other lenders, we really are super competitive and pretty, pretty low cost, I would say, overall. So that's the first thing is an origination fee. Then there'll be the appraisal fee. It's usually around $400, and that's to make sure that we can support the loan that you're applying for. There's title insurance. So title insurance is the only fee that's based on the loan amount. Everything else is a fixed fee. So often I'll say closing costs are $1,500 plus the cost of the title insurance. Because again, that's the only one that's variable. So title insurance, and then there's the closing fee. So the title company that provides that title commitment or title insurance, they're the ones that facilitate that closing. So they provide all the documents, have you sign, they notarize. And usually it's about a $400 closing fee there. Um, so again, for a hundred and let's say fifty thousand dollar home, because that's about an average for our first time home buyer, you're probably talking closing costs of about twenty two hundred. That would be probably a ballpark. Okay. One thing when you're buying a house, and that is uh, happens a lot right now, is you can negotiate for seller concessions. So you may not have all the closing costs, you know, to put down. You may have your down payment saved, you know, four or five thousand, but you don't have the extra money for the closing costs. So you can ask for up to 3% from the seller. So again, let's say $150,000, right? So 3% would be $4,500. Okay. That would more than cover your closing costs. Now, one thing I do want to clarify, because a lot of people will see closing costs 
and they'll get that loan estimate, which is the first summary of everything with your application, and they'll see like seven or $8,000, right? Not the 2,200 I just said. And that's because the escrow account is also included in that because that has to be brought to close. So in a lot of people's mind, that is part of your closing costs, mm -hmm. but truly it's you're starting an account so that when those taxes and insurance payments are due, the lender pays you know, for those invoices. They sweep that out of your account. So if we close, what is it, October now? So let's say if we close next month, your first payment wouldn't be until December, and that's when winter taxes are due. So you'd have to have at least 12 months of winter taxes in that escrow account. Okay. So again, depending on the time when you close, it can feel like a little bit more than closing costs. But I do like to kind of separate closing costs and the escrow account because the escrow account is really a savings account you begin so that when those taxes and insurance payments come due, the lender can sweep that out of your account. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So talking a little bit more about escrow accounts, are those something, is an escrow account something that's required with a mortgage? Because um, I know, of course, property taxes are required with owning a home sure. um, and you have to have insurance and all that. Um, but does it have to go through the lender or is that something that someone could have on their own and just pay annually? Yep. Great question. So if you put 20% down, um, or have 20% equity, again, if it's a refinance, then as the borrower or the member, you can choose if you want that escrow account or not. But if you have less than that, as a lender, we require that. And that's pretty standard with all lenders. Yeah. Basically, it's just a, it looks like an added risk. We want to make sure that everything is paid so that we don't have members that lose their home. Mm -hmm. So that is truly, it's, it's not a choice unless you have 20% down. Now, a couple of benefits that we offer that other lenders don't. One, you earn interest in your escrow account here and it gets deposited into your savings account on a quarterly basis. Wow. I had never heard of that before I came here. Typically that's, you know, kind of another business unit as a lender that you just earn. You earn escrow on all your borrowers accounts and you keep that. Oh. But of course at the credit union we do the right thing and it should be if it's your escrow account that yeah. you know you earn it. I think another advantage of having an escrow account, especially when you have property taxes that aren't split evenly, so I live in East Lansing, in the summer my property taxes are 10 times what they are in the winter. Well, I don't typically have a few extra thousand in the summer, mm -hmm. and so to be able to just pay monthly and then know when that bill's due, it gets swept out of that account, for me it's peace of mind. Yeah. So even though I may or may not have 20% equity, I still am going to choose to have an escrow account because I want someone else to be able to handle that. Yeah, I totally agree. As a consumer, I'd rather just... Again, a same thing, pay it monthly and then know it's handled when mm -hmm. that time comes. It depends on the person though, because there are a lot of individuals, no, I, I want to control it. Mm -hmm. You know, they won't set up auto pay because they want to set up when they make that payment. Same thing when they pay their property taxes. So kind of to each their own, but unfortunately, unless you have 20% equity or down payment, you don't have a choice with that escrow account. Sure. Okay. We've heard mortgage officers talk about PITI, so P-I-T-I. -I. Um, what does that stand for and how does it really relate to the mortgage process? Sure, good question. And, you know, probably depending on the industry you're in, we all have a load of acronyms we use. Yeah. But I know I was talking to one of my girlfriends and she's in insurance and I was talking about DTI and LTV and PITI and she's like, would you hear yourself? You sound <laughs> ridiculous. You're talking like in code. Um, so P-I-T-I -I or PITI is really just your total payment each month. It's the principal, the interest, the taxes, and the insurance. So if you do have an escrow account, then you're gonna have the pity payment. If you don't have an escrow account, you're just gonna have your P&I or your principal and interest that's due to the lender. 
Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Definitely. No, good question. And these are these are great questions because it reminds me too when we speak with people, we can't assume that, you know, people live in the world that we are in all day, every day. Sure. And so have to make sure that we are explaining things so that everybody can understand what they're kind of looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know you just said like LTV. Yeah. <laughs> and DTI. Yeah, do you want me to explain those? Yeah, can you explain yes. those for us? Of course. So LTV is loan to value. And so again, when you have private mortgage insurance, that's when we have less than 20% down, or we would say greater than 80% loan to value. So that's just what that means. Okay. Um, and with private mortgage insurance, the payments, um, it's every 5% that you get kind of a reduction in payments. So if you have, if you have 3% down, and so it's a 97% loan to value, right? You're gonna pay a pretty high PMI payment just because you have the least amount of equity or okay. least amount of down payment. As you get to 95% or even to 90%, then it's reduced by the amount of equity that you're putting down. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. So it kind of like, the more equity you have, the lower the PMI payment. Okay. Because it looks a little bit less riskier to that lender. Okay. Interesting. So is that something that just when the mortgage is originally opened, if you have a higher loan to value, it's a lower PMI, but it's not like once you open it at the 3%, it's not like at 5%, it drops lower. And then once you get to 10%, it drops lower. Correct. It's just that original one. Yep. It's okay. just the original and it stays that same amount until you get to then that 20% threshold. Okay. Yep. Good question. Interesting. And then what about DTI? So DTI is debt to income. And typically the magic ratio in the housing industry is 33-43. So 33, that top number, you don't want your total housing payment to be more than 33% of your total income, okay? Mm -hmm. So just to make it easy, let's say that we made $10,000 a year, we wouldn't want more than 3,300 of that to be your housing okay. payment. Okay. And then 43 is the bottom, so we don't want the rest of the debt that you have to be more than 43% of your total income. Okay. So again, if we made $10,000, 4,300 would be the max of debt we would want to see. Okay. And part of that is because we assume utilities, right? We're not accounting for utilities and auto insurance. And so we know that based on that gross um, ratio, that you'll still have some cash flow to be able to have, you know, do your your gas and your insurance and groceries and you know anything like that throughout sure. the more of your disposable income so to speak. Okay. Interesting. So, I know another big alternative to owning a home is renting. Yep. So, can you think of any major advantages or disadvantages to either renting or owning or either? So, a lot of this is a personal preference. Mm -hmm. So, for the last 50 years, the homeowner percentage in the country has been right about 65%. It goes up a tad or down a tad, but it really doesn't move. Okay. And that even when we have the strongest economic conditions or the weakest economic conditions. And so I just always find that really interesting because some of it's a personal preference. I worked at a marketing firm when I first graduated from state a while ago. <laughs> I was just going to say one and I was like, whoa, that was close. <laughs> um, and the owner of the company rented. I mean, he was in his 60s and it's in his mind, the amount of money that he would spend man maintaining the home or updating it with a furnace or windows, he felt he could put that money away, kind of his opportunity cost in a CD or in an investment and earn more than he could on a home that would appreciate. Which I think if you're disciplined, that's certainly one way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Most Americans realize wealth by owning real estate. 
and that's just a, a true fact. Certainly we've had times where real estate hasn't appreciated. The two times I can think of were Great Depression and then our recession right in 2008. But even that has come back because mm -hmm. I had bought my house in 2003 right at the top. I lost at least half of the value, which I wasn't selling. And then when I went to sell last year, I still went, I still made more than what I had purchased it for. So that certainly comes back. Mm -hmm. um, and real estate as a rule does appreciate. Um, but again, it's, you know, kind of what, what is your capacity for maintenance? You know, do you, do you want to have that control and I want to do new carpet and new painting and new light fixtures, or do you want someone else to take care of that? And when something else goes wrong, I just want to call someone. I don't want to have to deal with it. Yeah. So that's one thing to think about, certainly. I think too, how long are you going to be in the area? Because often if you're not going to be somewhere for more than two years, it may not be in your best interest to purchase a home and then look to sell it. Because there are some costs when mm -hmm. you sell. I mean, if you use a realtor, you're paying commission. You're paying about 7% of that sales price to that real estate agent. Because as a buyer, when you're looking for a house, you don't pay that real estate agent anything. Um, that is very important because a lot of people think, I don't, I can't afford a realtor. Uh -huh. And really as a buyer, you really can't afford not to have a realtor because they, they go into houses all day, every day. They understand negotiation. They know what, you know, things probably add more value or will be more important to that seller or maybe more of an emotional purchase for you as the buyer and can kind of help steer you into being more objective. Um, and so those, again, just different things to think about. So if you're going to be there less than two years, it probably doesn't make sense to purchase. Okay. Um, so just to clarify, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. The seller pays both the buyer's agent and their agent. Yep. Okay. Yep. They pay, yes. Unless it's negotiated, you know, in the purchase agreement, but I would say 99.9% .9 of purchase agreements I've seen in 20 years, you do not see where the buyer is paying for the uh, commission for the real estate agent. Okay. It's just not, especially in the state of Michigan. I mean, it's it's just, it's understood that the seller pays. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, one other thing I do want to mention just about when you're looking at a house, because I feel like people don't think about this as much as we probably should, but we check the mileage before we buy a car, but we don't always look at how efficient a house is. So one thing I always recommend is to get utilities for at least the last year, you know, look at the heat, look at the electric, look at the water, make sure that that doesn't change kind of your budget numbers or what you're not gonna be comfortable with when you go forward. Okay. Because there are some big houses that are super energy efficient and there are some little houses that are terribly inefficient. Mm -hmm. And you know, and you can end up paying the same amount per month, but it really depends on, you know, what's going on with that house itself. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to just looking at your overall budget and those extra costs that might be associated with it. Yep, absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much, Denya, for all of the information you gave to us today. I really think that our listeners are going to get a whole lot out of this episode, especially if they're thinking about entering into the mortgage process. So absolutely thank you. And thank you for all the work that you do here at the Credit Union and um, for helping me get my house closed. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both very much. This has been truly an awesome opportunity. And clearly, I'm happy to talk about mortgage or the house buying process at any time. Great interview, right? That was so good. I really enjoyed that. Me too. And I really picked up some really great gems out of it. I think one of the ones that I picked up and will continue to think about is the way that she defined title insurance 
as somebody that's worked in that industry and been very confused sometimes about like how to define it just as looking at title insurance as an insurance that covers you for things that happened in the past versus like auto insurance that covers you for things that will happen in the future so should it come up that someone you know didn't pay something that was a you know windows or something that were attached to the house um, and there was a lien placed on the property, if that was before you, then a title insurance company will help you out. And it also brings value to that title insurance as well. Yeah, I had no idea. I mean, I've heard the term title insurance, but I had no idea what it really did. So that's really good to know. Um, one thing that I liked that she suggested was that when someone's getting ready to buy their first home, sit down with a mortgage officer and really figure out what it is they can afford. Because a lot of times what they think their budget might be could be drastically impacted by um, property taxes in the area they choose to purchase or utilities um, or all those different things, you know, closing costs and those different things um, that could have a big impact on how much you really pay, you know, once you buy the home and then long term after that. Yeah, I feel like that was like extremely important. It keeps everybody from, you know, wasting any time and also could give you a goal of what you need to save and really makes it practical. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we're here for, just to provide that practical advice. Exactly. All right. Now it's time for the CU Spotlight. MSU Federal Credit Union and OU Credit Union have many products and services for our members. We have multiple checking, savings, and loan options. Our checking accounts have what you need. Whether you prefer no minimum balance, earning dividends, or a customized debit card, we have the perfect account for you. You'll enjoy surcharge-free access to over 30,000 ATMs nationwide. Near or far, we are wherever you are. Our checking accounts also include access to free direct deposit, free bill payment, and free access to your FICO score. From standard savings and money market accounts to certificates, we offer a variety of dividend paying accounts to fit your needs. Our multiple loan options include personal loans, auto loans, mortgages, and multiple credit card offerings. From low interest rates to tiered benefits, we have the right product for you. If you'd like to find out more or become a member, please visit msufcu.org. Wild Watch is written, hosted, and produced by Katherine Hurth and me, Devontae Montgomery. Our executive producers are Whitney Anderson Harrell and Lauren Kalarzik. Wallet Watch is brought to you by MSU Federal Credit Union and OU Credit Union. You can find more episodes of this show at our credit union's website, financial40.org, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in our next episode.